Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns. This is the show where we share cutting edge strategies on acquiring leads and sales so that you can achieve your vision as a business owner, as a VP of marketing, as a director of marketing. And today, Qasem Aslam, we've got sort of like the OG of the agency world. I think he's the first person I ever met that actually sold a business, which I know now you are part of that elite fraternity of agency owners, which is awesome to have. And I know you and Jason have known each other quite some time, myself as well. But if you're a non-agency owner, and I know this is an issue for a lot of folks when I talk to businesses about how we might be able to help them through agency services, their goal is three to four to five to maybe 10 years out is ultimately to sell. Now, I know you did that, Qasem Aslam, and maybe you even got some advice from today's guest. So pretty excited to have him on today. Yeah, what I'll say is before Jason Swank, the global narrative was agencies weren't sellable products. Everybody would say, you know, agencies are generally founder focused and there's not enough in the way of systemization or scale, et cetera, et cetera. And so agencies, just in terms of the story that was being told to most small agency owners, they couldn't be sold. You could do a lot of things. You could set them up to run on their own and there could be some mailbox money there for you, but you couldn't, you could never sell your agency. At least that was always the story that I was told. And he was the very first guy in my worldview that did it espoused it, and I think changed the narrative for the rest of us. So there's a position for him on an anthropological scale as, let's say, a pioneer of the agency space. And hopefully that's enough pandering, Jason. You're going nice to you're gonna make me tear up. <laughs> it's actually, it's it is true. true. You're the first guy I ever know that sold an agency. And before you, everybody's like, oh, you can yeah. never sell an agency. Agencies aren't sellable. Yeah, oh, 100%. Did you hear that too? Well, I think before we answer that question, I do think that this is not an agency-specific question too. We might be using agencies today as our proxy, but there's a lot of business owners out there that think, oh, I don't have a sellable business. And I agree with you, Kasim. I was like, there's no way they'd buy us. It's just a service thing. And then we got contracts and they can leave and like, what's the value? But you know, obviously you were my mentor for multiple years through the coaching program. You opened my eyes to that. So I think there's some parallels, not just in the agency and the service world, but to any business. And that's what we're going to be talking about here today. And you have specifically eight elements that will assist business owners in creating a sellable business. So I do think all of what you said, Kasim, is 100% accurate, but I think it's more widespread than just the agency world. Correct. Yeah. Which tip do you want me to go over first? You want well, me to go over the elements or, you've or got what you do? So which of my knowledge bombs am I going to drop for? Which of these fuses do I need to lie? I'm telling you guys value. 
It's driving me crazy. And our pre-record, Jason just wanted to start the podcast just immediately without any introductions or anything. He's just so full. He's so full of it, really. Just it. Uh, I won't tell you what (laughs) I'm full of. All right. So before we get into the eight elements, which, trust me, are going to be worth it for you to listen to, not agency owner or agency owner, we all get inundated I don't know whether it's just because I have CEO title in my LinkedIn or whatever it is, by solicitations on every messenger platform known to mankind. And it's so frustrating because there's so much. But you, however, have another way, maybe leading into today's nugget, you've got some way in which you can avoid annoying people and actually getting them to pay attention to you. Well, it's how to not be the annoying person. So we all get that email, hey, can I send you a video? I created a video for you. I'm like, well, if you created the video, you would have actually sent it to me. And I used to get really frustrated. I'd be like, well, send me the video. Let me see the timestamp of when it was actually created because you're starting our relationship lying to me, which I don't appreciate. That's how I'm thinking. But that might be my Northeast body coming to me. It is. You know that, Ralph. It's okay. We get frustrated pretty quick. Absolutely. And then I started thinking going, what is going to get my attention? And still no one's ever done this. So if you do this, I think you're going to crush it or for your salespeople to crush it. Now, if this person sent me a video that was helpful, not like, oh, I checked out your website. It's not ranking. Check out these keywords, whatever it is. But give me some really good advice. Treat me as I'm your client already. I'm already paying you to be your top client. So you send me a video that gives me really good advice. I'm like, okay, cool. Now, where people make the mistake, some people do this and they may be listening and going, I already do that, Jason. And then their second email to them is, hey, did you see my email I sent you? That's the mistake. I want you to send a second email, totally different, another piece of advice. And then next three, four, five, I want you to do it 10 times. If you send valuable piece of information, custom to that person, specific, you did the research and you do it 10 times, they're already your clients, there is no way that they're going to ignore you. Dude, that's brilliant. You know who does something like this that was on this show is Dmitry Smirnov. Do you know Dmitry? Mm -hmm. I do. Super bright dude. He runs like all the Wolf of Wall Street's traffic. Mm -hmm. Dimitri has, it can be 10 to 15 pages. He does this 10 to 15 page full on like audit slash action plan. Now this is the interesting part. He prints it. He prints that shit, snail mails it, and then emails it, and then continues to follow up, but doesn't follow up with like, did you see my thing? Did you see my thing? Like follows up with value. And what I love about him is he goes after his dream 100. So he finds his 100 clients and then goes to this really specific niche that's, man, that's really sharp. And you're absolutely right. How could that not work? But you know what, Jason, is too hard. That actually requires real work and real effort, and people aren't willing to do that. Well, well, <laughs> correct. And that's why it stands out, because all these people want these silver bullets and these things that you can just go, hey, buy this course, and your life will magically turn into sunshine and rainbows, and gold will fall from the ceilings, and you'll be printing money. That shit doesn't happen. You have to really think about who is your target 50 list and have people do targeted research for them. Like I always love the story of Gary Vaynerchuk when he had Wine Library, where, you know, he constantly monitored people on Twitter to find out what they loved. And so he found out this one person loved this particular athlete on the Jets and he sent him a signed jersey. What he found out later was that person actually was a huge wine buyer. 
And he used to buy millions of dollars of wine from this one facility and was like, I'm going to buy from you. You took the time in order to do something no one else is. Mm. I think so many people go wide and shallow as opposed to narrow and deep. The ones that I actually do respond to are the ones that are, they provide value. Like for example, I get the video one all the time, but there was one where I was like, hey, if you don't have time to watch the video, here's the TLDR. And it didn't tell me everything, but at least it gave me some indication as to what was in the video. I didn't watch the video. I read the TLDR and then I got another video and then another couple of follow-ups and it was kind of cute and it was sort of funny and he sort of knew something about me. And I was like, all right, let's set up a call. But it took like five touches at least. And I think that's the exception to the rule. I have never gotten what you're talking about. And I think that's the reason why so many of those end up in the trash. And think about, you could all do this. Let's say you picked five clients a week to reach out to, and you had your team do the research and figure out, here are the 10 things they need to do better. And then in one day, you can create all 10 touch points. And then what you do in that first video is going, hey, Ralph, I'm going to send you 10 strategies. And these are custom to you and you show them. And here's the first one. I just want to provide value to you. And if I can help you out, and now you've set a tone. Oh my God, this guy's going to send 10 videos and you make sure you have to make it custom to them every time. Not like that AI custom shit. But dude, that AI stuff's starting to look pretty good. It is. If you see a Frank Kern video now, it's 100% AI. Is it really? I need to reach out to Frank. Can you believe it? (laughs) Yeah. Of course it is. Of course it is. He's always trying to find the shortcut. I've always loved his stuff. I actually owe a lot to Frank. After I sold my agency, like I told you guys, I was depressed, or I don't know if it was on the pre-show or whatever, but I was depressed after I sold the business and I went to a Tony Robbins event and they made you walk on fire. I left after the first day because I was like, I, I can't do this high five shit. But they gave us Money Master CDs with Frank Kern, Jeff Walker, a number of different people, and they showed me the direct response part of the agency. And I was like, oh, that's cool. So I owe a lot to Frank. If he can stay on one thing at one time, Frank is brilliant. Oh my God. Yeah. We always joke about that. Like he's a like, squirrel. Hey. Oh my God. Ladybug. Rhinoceros. Wow. <laughs> oh, antelope. That's yeah. Frank. Grant Cardone. Oh no, that didn't work. <laughs> Wait, too low? <laughs> is that a low blow? That Sorry, is. That is, that is a little bit of a low blow. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't listen to this that's show. That's kind of funny. Frank would laugh at that. No, he wouldn't. He'd be like, that's funny, but you know. That's true. Frank's AI would laugh at that. (laughs) Frank's AI would like interpret that that was a joke and then adequately laugh. Do you remember his ads in like a robe? He would have like a robe and he would give advice. Dude, how about the wife beaters he'd wear in that weird basement? He's in this $30 million house and he chooses the one room that looks like a prison cell to shoot all of his videos from. It was the weirdest thing. But you know what? It worked for him. He just pulled it off. Still kind of upset that he blocked me on text. But anyway, aside from that, Frank, if you're out there, (laughs) I'm here for you, buddy. Reach out. Anyway, we are going to be talking today, not just about that tip. That tip alone, you could stop perpetual traffic and say, I'm going to go do that today. And that'll make you a lot of money. I swear to God, it's just all about effort. And people give up. It's like you start a podcast or a blog. What is it? Month two or three is typically where you give up. And it's for most, it's like, I'll send one video and that, did you watch my video? Did you watch my video? That is not a sequence. So do not do that. Do not send any of us, any of those anymore. If you're listening on perpetual traffic, 
But this is the work. And if you do choose the right types of customers, you don't have to go really, really wide. You do have to go narrow and deep. So super cool there. Make sure that you do watch us over at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube. Our YouTube channel is growing like a weed. As I look out my lawn right now, there's lots of weeds out there. Almost as fast as weeds are growing in my lawn here in the fall. Today's conversation with Jason Swank is going to be not just to agency owners, but if you are an agency owner, obviously this is going to be relevant to you. But for any business owner who is looking to create a business that is ultimately sellable, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's done it. He's advised me. He's advised Cossum. We're going to get to that right after this quick break. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. All right, we are back with Jason Swank, the OG of all things agency. Some people call me the OG. I always defer back to you. I say, no, Jason Swank is the true OG. He's the guy. That makes it's him just the great hair now. The OG. Right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that pisses me off is you're like 20 years younger than me. But anyway, and way more rich and way better looking. But the point is, is you sold Solar Velocity way back when. So of which we are talking about today, you know a fair amount. And as we pointed out in the introduction, I actually thought, with unmistakably inaccurately, is that it was, an agency is unsellable because it's just a service and that's it. But you showed me that that is not the case. And I think there's plenty of businesses out there, whether you're a digital products business, whether you're an e-com business and highly competitive niche, you can actually build a sellable asset that can create a certain degree of generational wealth, sort of depending on how big it is and all that. So Tell us a little bit about your journey with Solar Velocity and what you're doing now, and then maybe we can get into the eight steps. Yeah, I mean, I started Solar Velocity by accident. One of my friends looked like Justin Timberlake, and so I created a fake band, fake website called InShit, got popular, 
And then people started asking me to design a website. So I was accidental. Most entrepreneurs are accidental, especially when it comes to service-based businesses. And I was just kind of off to the races and then struggled for a couple of years. Yeah, we were always growing, but we didn't have that substantial growth to grow the agency and then have the opportunity to sell it, which we did. And sold that in 2011? 2011. Yeah. So a long time ago. I've been doing this business coming up on a decade. Wow. Our podcast, the Smart Agency Podcast, is almost a decade old, which is nuts. So Holy cow. Yeah. So you sold in 2011, but then you stayed on... As part of the burnout equity, like how structure, you don't have to talk about exact numbers, but how did it kind of work like in that deal? Yeah. So when you sell a business, there's so many different things that are going on. So we had a substantial cash buyout, but then we also had an earnout, which those are usually designed for you to lose. And I'll give you guys a tip when you guys do sell or have the opportunity. And this was told to me not too long ago. And I tell all of remembers this now. I'm like, don't forget about this. So I'm just going to tee it up, tease it. I'm taking your guys lead on that one. So we'll tease it, tell you in a little bit, but we had a cash and then I had equity in the company as well. And then we actually had a role in there. I turned into an employee, which is never a good thing. (laughs) I think, especially when you're doing it for 11 years and you're like, I'm not going to do it. So, but that was the structure of the deal to go back to the earnout. Earnouts are designed to lose. I always tell people, be happy with the cash that you get up front because most of the time, earnouts are you're not going to get. But here's what you can do is say, we are not going to tell anybody other than our internal team that we were sold. You are not going to have any control of our company until everything is paid up, including the earnout. So I have the opportunity to hit my numbers because the company buying you, they'll say they want you to hit the numbers, but a lot of times they'll be like, no, we don't want to pay out millions more. And so what you'll do is you put in the stipulation, you do not take control until everything is paid. And if you can't pay the earnout and I hit the numbers, I get the company back and I keep the cash. So for everybody thinking of selling, make sure you put that in your deal. I'm skeptical of that. Unless you're in a bidding war, that's a big ask, at least in my experience or, talking well, to these people. That's the first ask. Okay. The second it's one. It's a good ask, by the way. I'm, it's a good ask. Yeah. <laughs> ask for whatever you want. If you want to learn how to fly, there you go. But what they'll probably agree on is you'll have the option to buy them back at what they gave you on the cash. So you keep that cash, you keep investing that because it's usually over a year to two years, you invest that. If they can't do it, if you hit the earnout, you're already bigger. So your valuation just went up anyway. So hell yeah, you're going to buy your company back at a discount. You've already made interest on that money and you haven't told any clients. No one from the outside knows about it. So it's like it never happened. You need to find a way to tax defer the income, right? Because otherwise there's a 20%. What do you mean? Diminishment. Well, so if you pay oh, me a million dollars for the broker and that kind of stuff. Yes, that's yeah. correct. Yep. Exactly. I'm not negating what you're saying. I'm just working this out practically because I think it's super sharp. I didn't do this in my exit. And really my plan was like a child. I decided if I'm happy with the cash at close, exactly. I'm going to pretend like the earnout doesn't exist. And if it happens like... Merry Christmas, me. Yes. And that's what I've always thought until I was chatting with someone and they actually did this. Hmm. They actually had an agency that was under a million in EBITDA and was valued at 25 million. I about fell out of my chair. I was like, where can I find this stupid buyer? I mean, do they have IP or software? No. How did they get that? No. no. 
Super niche, yeah. special, special niche. niche. Like, what was right? the no, 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 and got like 10 million cash. And I was like, what? Yeah, it was crazy to me. But he told me this, and they were about to hit the earnout because when they sold, there were 200 people. When they hit the earnout, there were like 400. He was like, I'll buy us back. And then he sold it again, and I got really good multiples because now they were well over the eight figure mark. So it was just pretty, pretty clever. So just a helpful tint to remember. The other hint I'll tell you before you sell, a lot of times when you sell a business, they'll buy you as an asset purchase. So they're not buying all your liabilities. And so a lot of times what they'll do is they'll say, hey, I need you to go to your five biggest clients and let them know and get them to sign this permission form saying you can transfer if you are sold. So what I want you to do is put in your agreements, and I'm not a lawyer, so you can't sue me, but just ask your lawyer, but to say, hey, we have the right to transfer this contract to anyone else by just giving you written permission or written notice. Dude, that's the best advice anybody's ever dropped on an exit. I lucked out my business mentors and M&A guy, and I mentioned to him in passing a few years ago that I might want to sell. First question out of his mouth, are your agreements transferable? First question out of his mouth. And I was like, I don't know. How would I know that? And he goes, if they're, and I had 200 clients when I sold, which is a lot for an agency. He's like, if they're not transferable, that's a deal killer. Cause now I got to go to every single one of those and say, mother, may I? And there's just no way you get enough of them past the finish line to make that deal. So yeah, that's great advice. So you want to go over the first element? Well, so far, so good. On the first three bombs dropped, you know, the intro. Well, just get worse from now. All right. It's all downhill. It's all downhill from here. Well, now we get to the really good stuff. Tease, tease. And these are the eight elements that Jason Swank looks for before he buys an agent. Exactly. Like these are the must-haves. And these are not hypothetical. Let's make sure everybody understands you not only went through the process, but you are actively doing this right now. Yeah, we bought nine businesses in the past two years. Yes. So you're not coming from some theoretical thing happening here. You're doing this sort of stuff. So I just want to set that frame for anybody who's listening before we get into the eight elements. So guess at the eight, I'm going to write my guess down and then I'm going to see how close I get. Okay, perfect. I like it. Well, the first one should be pretty easy. He just wants to look smart. Why don't you take a guess at the first one? Think about the basics. I have three guesses written down. It's one million in EBIT, focus on recurring revenue, and no client that's more than 10% of the revenue. Yeah, you've got them, but that's not the first one. You've got some of them, but you've got some of them. So the first one really is having a clear vision and being Mm. focused, laser focused on a particular industry. Like they know your clients. Yeah, niche down. And the most important part is your team has to know it. Think about if you go back to my original journey, I was an accidental business owner. I knew how to do something cool. Someone would offer me money off to the races. But what happens in the first couple of years is all of my employees are always coming to me to make decisions because they don't know where the business is actually going, who we're going after. But if I could actually communicate that vision to them, now they can make better decisions based on the agency rather than better decisions for them. Does that make sense? Mm, 100%. So that's the easy part. It's hard. Well, it's an easy part to talk about. It's a hard part to really start narrowing down into a particular niche. And what I tell people too, when you narrow down, you still can have your existing clients. You still can take on work outside of that niche. You're just marketing to that. Ralph, I mean, you guys, how much easier is it to market to a particular market that you know really well, rather than anybody and everybody with a pulse? Oh, infinitely easier. For sure. You know what to say. Yeah. 
you know what to say, you know who to say it to, you know how to say it. It becomes specific as opposed yeah. to general in your messaging. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's like they say, that's me. I need them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because you want to get it to a point where your team comes to you and then they're like, I know what you're going to tell me to go do. It's kind of like that one, three, one. Like I always train my team to go, if you bring me a problem, I'm going to say, what are the three possible things you think we need to go do? And what's the one thing you're going to go do? And they do it enough. They're going to be like, why am I going to Jason? That's a waste of time. I already know what he's going to tell me. When that happens, that's when you've communicated your vision enough. You like started that. building the right leaders. So it's clear in simple, simple terms. It is a clear vision as to where you're going. Like, what is the horizon exactly. that you're pursuing? And if everyone knows what that is, by extension, they should be, I hate to use the word empowered, but I suppose that is the right terminology here. They should be guided, like magnetically guided towards that vision and be able to know specifically the things they need to do in order to help get you there. One of my big things with my team is like, don't tell me your freaking problems unless you come to me with one, if not more than one solution. And then you've got a recommendation. We call it the six inch putt, which makes my job a whole lot easier. But the point is, it's like, if I do all the thinking for everybody, my business is unsaleable. It's the way that I look at that. And it doesn't make them any more motivated to do the work because they're just like, I'm just doing what Ralph tells me to do as opposed to me figuring out the solution within the context of a larger vision. Is yep. that accurate? Exactly. It's perfect. So element two is how is that business getting business? And do they have multiple key, multiple channels where they're generating business? Not referrals, not one, because one can go down and you're screwed. I always joked with you going, you know, if Facebook ever goes down, what are you going to do? Like, well, I have multiple channels. We do all this. Kind <laughs> it's of an, it did. And it did. And we got <laughs> screwed. Sorry, Rob. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. The inevitable happened. Yeah. But it came back. Exactly. Oh, yes. Yeah, it, it has. Exactly. So we want to have those multiple channels. And then I'm asking the question of going like, when I look at a business too, like how they're getting business, I'm like, how can I build more from these channels? How can I increase the clients? Are these channels reliable or not? And I look at kind of three channels. You want an inbound channel? Like, how are you getting people to come to you? You want an outbound channel going over that strategy that I just told you about. And then the last part is strategic partnerships. And this is something that people don't really do a lot of times is Think about what are the technology companies going after your audience? What are the associations? What are the publications? What are the conferences? You know, what we did at Solar Velocity, we became one of the best partners in the world for Microsoft when they had SharePoint. We did the same thing with Syfinity and other divisions within Microsoft, but we did it at a time where they would listen to us. You can't just go, oh, WordPress or some technology already there. You have to kind of find that up and coming rising a little ahead of you that you can make them look better. So like when we would go to Microsoft, we'd say, hey, we took your software and literally made it even better with what we were doing. And then they started promoting the hell out of us. Does that make sense? It does. So do you want to go on to element three? Element three. Element three. Element three. Bring it on. Predictable revenue. Think about when someone's buying your business, we want that predictability. So you can't have month-to-month contracts. I don't want you to have 30, 60-day out clauses. You have to think about how do I make my business predictable? And you want it compounding. If your business is selling mainly projects, 
or it's like one-offs, that's not very predictable. Even though you have a big pipeline, I want that compounding interest on those clients. So if I get 10 clients this month and then I get 10 clients next month, well, I should have over 20, like continuous. And then I'm also constantly thinking about what is my stickiness with those clients? What is my churn rate? People like literally leaving over 10%. Well, that would be a red flag. So how can I actually make sure people stick around longer so I can actually grow that account? So in the agency space, let's just talk about that. So Mm -hmm. the month-to-month contract is really is sort of the de facto model for many, many, many agencies because so many customers come on board. They're like, all right, well, I don't really trust these guys. And there's plenty of businesses out there that agency shop. Oh, you're my seventh agency. Huge red flag for anybody who's in the agency space. But the point is, is that locking them into a longer-term arrangement is sort of nirvana for any service business. Let's not kid ourselves. And my COO comes from like the service-based software business. So it's like everything was longer-term contracts. But after an initial period, that's how we do it now. But the point is, is like, how do you get through Like, what's your recommendation to be able to get to that point? Because that is predictable revenue. And then if you can solve that, you might not even want to be in the space to sell because that's exactly. pretty darn good. So it's all about changing your offer. Most service-based businesses, their offer is this. Hey guys, my name is Jason and I'm really cool. I'm the best at this. Will you marry me? No. Are you going to go up I mean, here? You do have a mountain well, and plane. So I'm, I'm uh, so. No, I'd buy that. Yeah. For a, a mountain and plane, I'd be Mr. It's Swain. A, it's I'm a down. small plane. I just want to live in a. I just want to live in a. The size of the plane, Jason, is how high it flies. That's right. I just, just, just want to live in a mountain. I want to live in a mountain and uh, drive ATVs all day. That's what I want to do. There you so, go. yeah, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in, man. But you have to change your offer. So, what I always tell people is you have to build this offering ladder and you have to think about. How can you make it an easier decision, which is less risky for that person that's going to engage with your agency or business? So if you think about what's the first couple things that you need to do when you sign up a client, I want you to back that out. Think about if you could meet with a client for an hour to two hours and just charge them your time. And that's what I call a foot in the door offer. So like, for example, when someone would come to me about a lead generation problem, I would say, okay, cool. Let's talk a little bit more about the problem where you're trying to go. I'm trying to separate where they're at, where they're wanting to go, what's the gap. And then I'll position the foot in the door and I'll say, hey, based everything what you told me on this, I really think we should get together for an hour to two hours and let's build you a lead generation blueprint. On this blueprint, there's three possible outcomes. You'll love the plan. And you'll go execute it yourself. That's the case. I wish you luck. Like Frank loves to say that. That's the exact wording that he would say. Number two, you'll love the plan, which is the most common. And we'll work together and we'll talk about that. Number three, you hate the plan. I give your money back. So there's nothing for you to lose. What this will do for your business is it will tell you who's serious. You'll close people a thousand times quicker and you actually close more of them. And then what you'll do from that foot in the door, now you'll meet with them for an hour. And here's where most people mess up. This is something that they used to give to the prospect for free. Now you're charging for it. So they try to over deliver and then you confuse the hell out of them. But what you have to do is you're just looking for one little thing where you can actually help them. I had a client that had a $5,000 a month retainers doing SEO and he would hold his clients on for like six months and then they would leave. So basically making thirty dollars to $60,000 a year per client, he would sign up. I said, let's do a $2,500 foot in the door where you're going to meet with them for that hour. 
That foot in the door is designed to them to find a problem, to sell a project. And so I asked the client, I said, how long would it take you to show and demonstrate results to your client? Two months. Cool. We're going to do a three-month project to give you some time. So we're going to charge $15,000, which is 5,000 times three. We'll charge them 15,000. But at the end of the month two, before month three, when they start seeing results, that's when you're going to position the 12-month retainer. Now, remember, he was charging $5,000 a month, only keeping them for about three months, six months. So they were not making much money. Now that he've built trust, shown value, his retainer went up to 9000 for 12 months. That's over six figures per client that's reoccurring, predictable, reliable. So it's all about changing that offer to make it easy for them. And you also see the bad, <laughs> like it'll help you get away from the bad clients, right? Right, right. It's a project-based start, early wins, exactly. tangible before you transition into and before that three months time period is up you then position the longer term agreement because it's like we've already sort of proven our worth here unless you just want to be in the business where you have clients for three to six months and that's it and you just keep churning them we're going to take those people aside at this point because i think this is a much easier model but the point is, is you're actually you're giving up what i've found in my experience is going right into the continuity to begin with is a huge mistake because you have to provide so much value. And it usually has to do with an inverse relationship between price and value. Like your value is huge and your price is relatively low, but you're still charging them something. But by the time that second or third month has happened, all of a sudden it's shifted. It's like, oh my God, these guys are giving me so much value. Everything is now clear, tracking or creative or whatever it happens to be. And now it's like, all right, I'd be stupid not to do this longer term because you've been able to do it. And then that's when you can charge your actual rates. But I think business owners just in general want to make that first sale like, hey, we sold a $10,000 a month client. No, you're setting yourself up for ultimately for failure. I'm sure you probably have seen that in your experience. Oh, yeah. I mean, they go right for the jugular. It takes them a lot longer to commit yeah. and the wrong person's going to come in. And then a lot of times what you'll figure is they actually need something more because they left off something in the very beginning. That's the biggest problem is you don't sell enough to set your clients up for success. You're so desperate to get in the door and to close the deal that you actually put them at a massive disadvantage. I've seen that a lot. Yeah. And you want your clients to look at you as an advisor. If they're coming to you for problems, you've set that up in the right way. If they're coming to you just with orders, well, you're just an order taker and, and you're replaceable. And that business is not a sellable. Well, I mean, you can sell it. Like You can sell it to yourself, like a lot of people say, but it's not worth as much to someone coming in and buying you because the business is just an order taker. There's a lot of order takers out there. All right. So we have gone through steps one through three in the eight steps in order to make your business crazy saleable with Jason Swank. We're going to get to four through eight right after this quick break. All right. So steps four through eight. So four, uh, you nailed it right on the head, a diverse client base. You cannot have a majority of your business in one whale because if you lose that whale, that's a big risk for you and for the buyer. So if you, whales, 
have a ton of whales. So those whales actually turn into dolphins. I don't know. I'm just making this shit up now for like going to a dolphin. But or if you want a bunch of minnows, I think a killer whale technically is a dolphin. I think That's so. That's what too. I read. Yeah. Well, all right, well. smart asses. Like yes, just smaller version, a smaller whale. How about just a bunch of killer whales? Oh yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. that'd be cool too. That's easier. We've destroyed this analogy. Just, you know, like they've already. There's, there's no redemption. <laughs> The biggest thing is don't have more than like 20% into one client. That could be really risky. The next part is making sure the business runs without you. Is you this should number not five? be in sales. Are we in number five? This yet? is number five. This is number five. Yep. You want to have good operators for marketing, sales, and delivery. If you're in any of those and you have to be, this is the key. If you have to be in those, you have to change it. If you're in one of them because you love it and you like it, perfect. Like if you want to add color on sales, cool. I always loved being on the first meeting of the creative. I didn't have to be, but that gave me energy. So I did it. And you want good operators. Here's the way to identify a good operator or a bad operator. A bad operator is going to come to the business and they're going to create a shitload of systems and they're going to be like, why is not everyone getting their stuff done? Like they're constantly adding stuff. A good operator is taking away where the owner and the other people are like, man, I have a lot more free time. I have more freedom. You want to have those operators in there that are kind of coming in. If you have eight systems, they're going to make it down into three and they're making things easier. You have to have good operators. So like when we look at a business, if you don't have good operators, mm -mm, nope, because the owner is going to check out. Simplification, really. Yeah. Oh my God, so true. Exactly. Number six is profitable and growing. So you nailed it on the head, like the EBITDA. The valuations that I've seen in the past, and they're going down a little bit now, which is unfortunate, but I think they'll come back up. If you're under a million in EBITDA for a service-based company, especially in the agency, you're normally worth one to two X, which is not much. You're like, why would I sell it then? But if you can get over the million in EBITDA, it's anywhere from four. I've even seen eight for some of our clients that we've helped. So, and then you get over the three million, it's another. And then you get over the eight figure, it's another level up. So you want to be highly profitable and you want to show growth. Say those again, because I think that's super important because you're talking service-based businesses primarily here. Yes. I all of a sudden daydreamed about one to two X on software companies who basically have no have no EBITDA in a lot of cases, but we're really talking service-based businesses. So under a million, one to two X, over a million. Can you just go through those again? Yeah. Anywhere from four to eight, but the average is around four to six. And then $3 million for agencies is another step up where you can get to maybe eight to nine, I've seen. And then once you get over the eight-figure mark, you're looking at 10 and above, which is a pretty big jump. So I was told by someone I trust, and this was when I sold, which is last year, almost exactly a year ago, that if I got to $5 million EBIT, he could get me a 13x. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now I'm a hyper-specific niche, obviously, but that was, God, was that tempting. I didn't do it. I sold anyway. And I took a pretty substantial pay cut, but I wanted the cash. But I just thought what a chasm that is, you know, I mean, double the multiple, basically. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a huge step up. It's where the multiple expansion really starts to occur is 5 million plus. Right. You'd still agree with that even in today's environment? Look, a business is worth whatever you're willing to sell it for and whatever anybody's willing to buy it for. What I just went through, kind of those multiples, that's just the average. That's what I've been seeing. But you can have it all across the board. It could be very different. 
Right. And obviously for software it goes companies. Back to that one I told you that got like a 20X. Right. Like there are <laughs> unicorns in there. I've talked to a number of them who have gone that way and then others which are less. So it's like somewhere right in alignment. But I, I do think it's important for people to remember like these are averages, of course, but you know, there's so many different factors that go into that. That could be a whole show unto itself. Maybe we'll, we'll have to do a show on that. So element number seven. Seven. Element number seven. Our automated KPI tracking. I don't think you had that on the list. I did not have that on the list. That's a good one. Automated KPI tracking. So it's like like a dashboard. Dashboards. Come on, where you can go and you can see the health. You want to be able to make quick decisions. You want your team to be able to make quick decisions rather than saying, "Hey, um, how are we doing on the conversion rate of our sales appointments?" If you have to go look it up or someone on your team has to go look it up, well, we don't know. Or what's our show up rate for people attending our webinar? How many are we selling actively a month? Like I'm just, these are the KPIs for sales. So each department, each operator needs to come up with these and have them automated at any time. We can look at them going boom. And, you know, having them for each individual department right now on our production department, like how many customers are waving their vision? Like department needs to have its measurables and it has to be visible is in which to actually show this and create it. We use Gecko board, just dropping a hint there, Gecko board. We see it every single day for sales and marketing and now for operations. So it's like, where are we? Gecko board, like the lizard. This is another one of this CEO, Ryan Hodges thingies. But the point is, it's like, it's it's great. I look at every single day and you can alter it, obviously. Uh, Yeah. Because team motivated too, like not looking to sell. I think it's highly engaging. It's very, very important for everybody to know, like our cost per content produced per week. Like that for us is a leading indicator that we've done a show on that. So anyway, couldn't agree more. Dude, Gecko Board is cool. This should have been a nugget. Yeah. Well, well many, many nuggets here. We've got one more. I'm going to give you another nugget. Yeah. I'm going to give you another nugget. I want everybody... After listening to the show, what I want you guys to do, and this is not a lead magnet, so don't worry about it. If someone was going to buy you today, what would they change tomorrow? I want you to answer that question. And that's usually what you guys need to do as a business owner. Like if someone was going to buy you today, what would they change tomorrow? You know the skeletons in the closet. So like, what do you need to change? That's such a a great question. question. I love that. This is why yeah. we love Jason Swank. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> the audit or AI version of Jason. This is just my AI bot. It's tremendous. Yeah, you, know, you can barely <laughs> even barely even know. Can't it's even like, tell. You still see the wrinkles and the gray hair. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you yeah. think the AI version could get rid of like the gray get hair. Get rid yeah. of the gray hair. Yeah. I'm still working on my synthesia version. Gray hair. It's true. Because it means wisdom. It's wisdom yeah. whiskers. So anyway. That's right. All right. So, so number eight. All right. I don't think anybody guessed this one. Audited, if I can say that right, financials. Everyone thinks their business is better than it really is. They think they're more profitable than they really are. But if you had a third party go through and really put it together, and it's something that I want you to prove to me your financials. This could be too, like a lot of us as business owners will write off everything. Those bullshit items will go away. So you got to calculate that too, especially if you're selling, you want to kind of recast that number, be like, no, 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 my financials are actually here. So if you have kind of a third party going through that, 
it makes it that much easier. So when we sold Solar Velocity, it was a pretty fast transaction because we had everything ready. We weren't planning to sell, but we had these eight elements there that we'd be like, oh, you need this? Here you go. Boom. You need this? Boom. And it makes more confidence to the buyer be like, oh, they got their shit together. I don't even think this is necessarily an eight-step checklist to sell. But I know when we first spoke, it must have been like five, six years ago, I got to know each other. I was like, I don't want to sell, but I want to create a business that could be sellable because that means it's a great business. And it operates without me, which was the biggest challenge, I think, when we first, that and pricing, I think it was the first thing that we sort of attacked. You know, <laughs> that was the first, was the first thing. thing I told you. Pricing, yeah, raise yeah. your prices. Uh, raise your pricing. And then I was like, oh, you know, and there was a lot of stuff that we did. But the point is, is that even if you're not looking to sell in your service or your whatever business you're in, this is a great roadmap of eight steps for just hygiene in your business. If you have all eight of these, chances are you have a pretty well-run business. Totally agree. Yeah. Safe to say. Yeah. I want everybody to be able to build an asset rather than a a liability. That's the biggest thing is go through these and it will tell you what you need to focus on to build that asset. That could be life-changing to you. Yeah. And just chip away at them one at a time. I know a lot of agency owners, for example, have retention issues, have attrition issues, which is really sort of combined in a couple of the different tips here. If you answer that question... What's the thing that would kill me? I've talked to a lot of agency owners like, oh man, it's just that. It's like the churn or whatever it happens to be. Like focus on that one thing. You just got to chip off each one, one by one by one, not necessarily attacking all of them, especially it depends on what your timeline is. But if you're thinking about selling tomorrow and you don't have any of these eight, you might want to fix them before you go back to market. So, well, this has been awesome, man. We super appreciate you coming on. Where can people get in touch with you? I know you got a couple of podcasts. The crazy ass, crazy ass neighbors <laughs> podcast number one. And we give you all the information that you need here. But no, where can people connect with you? Yeah, you can go to swank.it or you can go to jasonswank.com. Swank is spelled S W E N K. And then we have 10 years worth of podcasts and videos when I had less gray hair and everything to help you guys out. My goal is just to be a resource I wish I had going through the first one. And so hopefully we're living up on that part. And I think every iteration or related catchphrase with the word potentially swank in it, you have either coined or trademarked or, I don't know, own in some way, shape or form. So chances are, if you just put in swank, you're going to find Jason. You'll find me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're kind of easy to find. Well, that's awesome. We will leave links in the show notes for that. And obviously, everything that we mentioned here is going to be over at perpetualtraffic.com in our show notes. Make sure that whatever you do, subscribe, leave a rating wherever you're listening. We're all over the place. Our goal is to be the number one marketing podcast on the planet. We're getting there slowly but surely. Thanks to you listening every single week. Make sure that you do follow myself, who is truly Ralph Burns over on LinkedIn, Cossum on every social known to mankind at Cossum. Go back and listen to previous episodes. And of course, check out our YouTube channel, especially that's at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube. You can see our smiling faces and gray beards here. And like I said, all resources and show notes are at perpetualtraffic.com. So on behalf of my awesome co-host, Kasim Aslam, peace. Until next show, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. 